so welcome to the latest episode of The Reset Show. Really delighted you could join us. Uh, I'm very excited to have Glenn Templeman join us today, who is uh, an authority on uh, all things HR business partnering, which Katie will tell you a little bit more about Glenn in just a second. But for those of you that might be new to The Reset Show, um, a little bit about you know what it is and why we do it. So it kind of got started, I guess, at the beginning of the pandemic, when we were thinking about how we could use the opportunity of the changing world of work to really do things differently and do things better, to help our people thrive in the workplace. So that's kind of how the how the research show was born. And we've had some amazing guests over the last, I think this is episode 32, if, I, if, I, if my memory serves, 32 odd episodes. Um, so do check out previous episodes because there are some really brilliant speakers. But I'm really, really excited to speak to, to Glenn today. Um, so Katie, tell us a bit more about Glenn. Sure. So Glenn has a breadth and depth of HR and business partnering experience, which has been gained over a 20 year career. And when you see him in a minute, it's hard to believe it's 20, 20 years of that. Um, about being an HR business partner across public, private, not-for-profit sectors, so all sort of uh, different organisations. Based in London, UK, he's currently an HR consultant with the management consulting industry, working with government and public sector clients. Um, I'm sure over the course of the next sort of 40 minutes or so, we'll be hearing about Glenn's new book, The HR Business Partner Handbook, which explains how HR business partners can be both the go-to experts needed by employees and that trusted strategic ally needed by the business. Um, it explains all sorts of things that are just critical to people working in that industry, coined as the sort of how-to guide for HR business partners at every stage of their career. I won't give any more spoilers away. I will pass you back over to Emma and say hello to Glenn. Thank you, Katie, and welcome, Glenn. So one of the first questions we always ask our guests is, is there anything that we need to know about you that wasn't included in our kind of standard bio intro? What else do we need to know about you, Glenn? Gosh, that's a good, uh, that's a good starting question. Um, I think that's one of the longest introductions I've, I've ever had, so um, thank you. <laughs> appreciate it. I was just thinking about the comment. It's actually been 22 years working in in hr now so um i, I made the joke at a conference recently that i i started obviously joined hr at the age of nine um but but actually maybe that's the thing to know is i started my when i took my first job in hr i was just um 16 so uh, that's perhaps the one thing to to know wow that's that's an early start in hr isn't it quite unusual as well I think really you, you, I, I know you do mention that in the book we're going to talk about the book in a minute but you do talk about um the kind of the career path and and the fact that I think I'm read I read in the book that it's not really something that you sort of dream of being when you have that chat with your career advisor you say oh actually I'd really like to go into HR do you think you made that comment in the book so yeah so how come you ended up going to HR at 16 it was just kind of a happy accident yeah, well, I mean that—that's part of the funny thing, really. Is um, I—I'd kind of got through, uh, got through, finished school, and um, was was kind of ready to to join the world of work, I guess. But I went off to, I dutifully went off to to college, and lasted kind of uh, about two weeks. Hated it. Didn't want to do full time education anymore. Um, and I, as I, I kind of mentioned in the book, I kind of knew that um, the thing that I was passionate about, and the thing that I was interested in, was working with people. Um, 
and you know some some bright spark had connected the dots to to hr or personnel or whatever it was called at, at the time and so in order to kind of get out of college you had to kind of have a plan at 16 and demonstrate that you were going to do something so i was kind of waving the prospectus for the the, the CIPD certificate in personnel practice and alleging that I was going to try and do that at, at a neighbouring college and, and and managed to find then a, an apprenticeship um, that, that was in an HR department and that kind of I guess the rest is <laughs> rest is history really. Oh well that, that's a really interesting story I didn't realise that the apprenticeship kind of HR scheme have been have been going for say that long that sounds awful because you're not as, as old as me but you know what I mean I thought it was more recent that's really interesting to hear that because I think it's always um, it's always fascinating to hear people's stories about how they kind of land where they land with their careers. And, you know, there are a few people that sort of know what they want to do and follow that career path. But I think most people, it's a whole squiggly careers thing. We're a big fan of the squiggly careers book, but it's that squiggly career thing of like, where do you end up landing, really? So but tell us about the book. How did the book come about? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, interestingly, the book kind of came about after my my sort of squiggly career moment, I think, of kind of going part time, starting a record label, thinking that I wanted to work in music and human rights and then falling back into HR. And um, that's the short version. Um, so the, the book kind of came about because I think I'd, I'd worked at maybe um, three or four organisations in HR in a relatively short space of time, always in that kind of generalist and working with teams of business partners. And what I'd found um, over and over was that people were having the same challenges people were stuck on the same things um, and I, and i guess that i was fortunate in my younger years to have kind of great teachers who who set me up well in hr and so i, I was um I was kind of working with a, a range of different business partners to coaching and guiding people um, on that journey about how to kind of make this transition like how to do the role how to operate everyone knows kind of what they need to do but kind of how to do it and then how to start thinking about and moving into some of the strategic level operations that you need to do as a business partner so that was that was just like very happy times and working with some colleagues and, and kind of doing what I enjoy doing really which is trying to encourage other people and this was back in the uh, the heady days of maybe 2018 when I was commuting you know four or five days a week and used to get on the train all the time and um, and what I'd started to do to help me think about framing these coaching sessions was write some some notes in the notes app on my phone and uh, and sooner or later on these uh, lengthy commutes from London down to Gatwick, uh, I'd written kind of 10 to 15,000 words in the notes app in my phone and started to realise that this was taking a bit of shape and taking a bit of form. Got it out of, um, out of my phone into Word, put some structure around it, did a bit of research on who else had, had kind of written on this subject. Um, and then the pandemic hit, had lots of time in the evenings and weekends to, to kind of work on it. And uh, and there we go, <laughs> kind of uh, all fell together. Uh, again, that's just really interesting to hear how, how that came about and it sort of evolved from from the coaching and I suppose mentoring advice you're giving and thinking actually there's a this this could help a lot of other people. So I love that. It's a great story. Another another uh, pandemic book. There's, there's quite a few of them around. Other people go well, might as well write a book. Then. <laughs> I, I, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to to uh, pick up on the point you made. Then I can't let this go. Katie will be knowing exactly what I'm gonna say. A record label? Tell us about a record label. What's that all about? I was hoping you'd ask. I was hoping you would. <laughs> oh, so, I mean, that's the squiggly career thing, right? So um, I think come the end of 2015, um, I I suppose a few things have kind of happened in my life. I'd, um, I'd, I'd you know, had a brilliantly successful career and I, I, and I was, um, but I'd reached that point of thinking, 
uh, what's next. I'm not sure I want to sort of go on to be a kind of HR director or head of HR. I'm still interested in the space that I'm in. How do I navigate this? Um, and actually just wanting to explore different things. And I think it's one of the, the, the trends that, well, that we know exist, which will be a future trend around portfolio careers, what we see with what we saw at that time. Do you think back to like 2015 with the gig economy? Um, and it was very much in, in that, that sort of time where actually I was saying, you know, what do I really want to do? I've worked in HR at that point for, uh, I don't know, 15 odd years, 14 odd years. You know, what do I really want to do? Um, and actually, music's always been a passion for me. I've, I've kind of been always been involved in music in some way, shape or form, whether it was my first ever job working in a, in a music store to being a DJ to whatever it might have been um, through the years. So actually, it was something that I was always interested in and wanted to kind of pursue. Um, so we had this kind of dual track at the time of, of, of saying, actually, I'm in this kind of corporate world. Um, but I'd like to explore something else. So I, I managed to find a, a part-time HR role to keep things ticking over and then did a music business diploma um, at a college in South London and, and started to build some networks, work with a few people, did a bit of artist management for people. One, I learned that it was a terrible idea to start a record label and no one should ever do that. And um, was then promptly offered a, a label by one of the distri distribution agencies and took it. And, and yeah, you know, off you go. You kind of work with people, and, and we, we had some had some good success. Had some tracks played on on Six Music, on uh, One Extra. Um, I, I think total maybe sort of four or five million streams on Spotify. So Colin, who, who have you got on your label? Might we? Because I listen to Six Music all day, so you're in good company here. Because Katie and I are both massive music nerds, aren't we, Katie? But yeah, my first job was in a music shop as well, a little record shop where, where I grew mm. up. It was brilliant, brilliant. <laughs> yeah, those are the best days. I, I always say, like, I, I just used to know about dance music, and then people would come in, and I, you know, as a 16 year old, people would come in and say, "Oh, there's this." blind opera singer I can't think and I was like oh Andrea Bocelli yeah I know that now <laughs> stuff that you learn um working in the music shots um fantastic um yeah they probably haven't haven't heard it's the main artist I work with is a guy called called Mark Jones um okay. he's a he's a great guy but, um yeah kind of rap hip-hop type music that's actually ring a bit of a bell it's ringing a bell for me Played a few times on um, Six Music, actually. Yeah, we'll come back to that. We'll come back to that. Okay, so let's get back. So let's get back to, to, to the main, main focus of today. We're talking HR business partnering, which is what the book is all about. So I think, I mean, you, you do a really great job in the book of, of, of explaining what it means to be an HR business partner. But for the uninitiated, what, what on earth is an HR business partner? What HRBPs used to call them back in the day. Yeah, go speak to the HRBPs. How do you describe the role of the HRBP? Yeah, that's a brilliant question, isn't it? <laughs> um, I think <laughs> how I would always describe a business partner um, kind of it, with, a, with a sort of a pictorial or a diagram in mind. So your, your business partner is, is, this, is this role or is function with, within the organisation that actually, in my view, kind of straddles um, between the, the organisation's HR function and then the, the business area operations. So what you're actually taking is someone who is an HR expert and they know all about how HR works, the processes, why it does what it does. And hopefully they're a people expert too and a, and a kind of people enthusiast. Um, and then they, they, they move, they shuffle along this, this line between HR and the organization and, and they go and embed themselves in, in a business area, whatever that, that may be for that business, whether it's the, the IT function or the engineering function or, kind of retail front-facing customer function um, 
and, and they work supporting that that business area's leaders and management team um, with, I suppose, um, anything and everything that involves um, their people, whether that's um, the, the sort of improvement, performance, planning, development, um, the full spectrum of the employee life cycle. Great. That's that's a really lovely, um, lovely way to think about it. And uh, I mean, I, I, for my sins, you know, spent what, 10 years in-house and I've, I've had business partner roles and it was really hard work um, because I think you almost become a bit of a victim of your own success. The better you are, the more people want of you. So did you, did you find that? And if, if so, how, how do you manage that? Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. I think I think that's the fun part, though, because I think, you, you know, you often arrive working with some new uh, a new business area and um, you, you sometimes you're really just there because they know they need to let the HR person in the room and and there's a difference between being kind of allowed in the room and sort of earning adding some value uh, and earning that that spot and and actually becoming part of a new team Um, but yeah I think definitely uh, you can become a victim of of your own um, success and and the workload kind of increases and increases and I think at that point that's where it's so important to think about um, what what's the best for me to do what, what does adding value really mean? What does this strategic unpacking piece mean? And so where do I focus my efforts? So quite quickly when you're successful, I think you run into a conversation of, okay, you've asked me to do, you know, all of these things from top to bottom. Actually, you, you, there's different ways to do these things at the bottom, or we could ask someone, anyone could do these things. Yeah. Where I'm going to add the most value or where you're going to get the most benefit as a customer, essentially, is, is in this stuff at the top here. And so I'm going to prioritise this for you. I think those conversations are really, really common for business partners. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Again, you go into this in, in the book, but what do you think makes a great business partner? What sort of skills and attributes do you need to thrive in that? Because it's a tough job. It's definitely a tough job, I think. Not for everybody. So what do you need to thrive in that role? Yeah, it, it, it is it is tough and it's the full like I say it's the full range of human emotion that you have to deal with pretty much on a, on an hourly if not daily basis um I, I think one of the things I, I sort of talk about as a as a start point is this idea of of actually um having a genuine interest in people so at, at a baseline you know this is a human resource business partner and what is what is the what does that humanity piece mean in an organization um, these days? And I find that, that there's more, you've got more energy, enthusiasm and sort of propulsion for delivery and for the role. If you're actually genuinely interested in getting great outcomes for people, getting right outcomes for the business and its people. Um, and so that, that's a big help. I think some of the, um, some of the other really key attributes are, is actually the ability to kind of, um, I mean, problem solve is, is too simple, but actually kind of survey an entire landscape of, of um, people issues, let's just say, uh, the, the mess that you can sometimes see and actually be able to use um, some experience, some knowledge, and I think a little bit of intuition to kind of really understand what's going on and what's causing these issues so that you can then um, weave together an accurate problem statement of of like okay I see these eight things happening what's the root cause and and then the next big skill jump is is I think kind of solution development so understanding the services and products that the HR function offers but also understanding what else is within the realm of possibility that you could 
produce and, and work with with the HR team to produce as a solution that's going to solve these these problems. So a lot of that um that kind of uh, often compare it to the role of a doctor. You know, you have to kind of see the symptoms, diagnose the condition, and and then find the right treatment. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's really interesting. And you, you do talk about um, the need to be strategic as an HR business partner. So not just react to what you're being asked to do, but to kind of think b- bigger and more strategically. So again, just just talk to us about what that looks like um, and, and, and how I think the word strategy is really scary for a lot of people, isn't it? And, and we have loads of debates with people and each other and clients about is that a strategy or is it a plan? You know, so I'd love to get your take on, on this whole kind of like mess of what is strategy and how can HR business partners be more strategic and not just reacting to what the business needs? Yeah, definitely. I think the first bit of like good news that you want to give people some relief on is I, I would say, you know, being strategic as a business partner is, is nine tenths preparatory. So so actually that there's a lot of, of work that you do before you sort of suddenly hit this fantastic strategic utopian um utopia mm. well. um I, I think the some of the the keys um for business partners uh sorry Emma, can you ask that question again no no that's fine i was just um just yeah delving into this this idea of being strategic as a business partner and and how you how you go from being reactive and just giving the business what they want to to you know thinking more strategically and delivering against the strategy whatever that might look like what do you need to do to do that yeah absolutely so i think one of the the really useful um framings that i've used for myself and, I, and i've used with others um is actually kind of thinking about it in tears so um there's a there's kind of a well-known model which, which kind of says you, you've got your, your vision um it's part of like the, the, the triangle at the top yeah. and from the vision flows into strategy from strategy to policy from policy to to process uh, and you can kind of attach with those things that the, the, the if you work it bottom up that the process is is things that we do or products that we deliver that the policy is is the what um, and the strategy is the how mm. and i think that's the tool that i've used with business partners most commonly because it translates quite well into hr right because we mm. work policies so we understand that actually if you pick up a policy or if you write policy and you read it and you interpret it for someone you're at the policy level that's the what it's not never going to be strategic level um, activity so I think the big the big shift for business partners is is taking um what they're given in terms of the the infrastructure within an organization how how things have always been done and and actually applying the how lens saying well here's the problem here's the context what's the blue sky Mm. bit of creative thinking what's how is how could we do this differently and how could this problem be tackled and if business partners can move into the how space and out of the what space then Mm. i I think that's that's usually the biggest jump for people in terms of of thinking yeah it's really interesting way to think of it like that yeah okay um and the other the other sort of um well, there's lots of really great stuff in the book, but one of the chapters that really jumped out at me was you, you, the chapter on empathy or the section on empathy. Um, and and the, the reason that I kind of say that is that we talk a lot about the evolution of HR from HR to employee experience, which is kind of happening right now. And I'll give you our take on it and it'd be great to hear your take on it. And it's fine to disagree. We love a bit to scream. It's all good. But I think that, you know, you were saying before about, people in in the world of hr and hr business partners need to actually care about people right 
And I think that's a really interesting starting point because I think for a long time, HR has, has forgotten about the people. It's forgotten. About, that sounds crazy, right? But if just, just, just hear me out. You know, it's all about what do we need to do for the organisation? What do we need to deliver for the work that people do? And very little time, effort and energy spent on and who are our customers? Our employees are our customers. What are their needs and motivations? How are they feeling? What's going on for them? Yeah, they might run an annual survey, very kind of, you know, transactional, but they don't really spend much time really genuinely understanding who it is they're designing experiences for or designing policies for, whatever it is. So I'm really passionate about the world of empathy. And we, we talk about, you know, the, the big change on employee experiences is actually saying, we need to really get to know our people. It just, I, yeah, it's just such an irony, isn't it, that we work in people functions, but we don't really know the people that well. So it's great to see that you've got a chapter on empathy. Um, but yeah, just love your thoughts on that. You know, whether you agree, disagree, and and, and really, what what's the role of empathy when it comes to, to the HR business partnering role? Yeah, sure. I think on employee experience, it's more important than ever, and and the reason I say that is is because, and I've got that sort of lived experience of um, the age discrimination legislation coming in like 2006, the idea that retirement ages were removed, but mm-hmm. that's a long time ago now. So yeah. where we are now is we have this enormous spectrum and enormous spread of, of ages and generations in that make up our workforce. And mm-hmm. if hybrid working has taught us anything, there's no way that they all want the same thing. <laughs> so uh, I think that's really important to... Um, from an employee experience perspective to really be able to understand you know who is in our workforce Mm. is it possible to segment them and actually what what do they want and how do we serve the different kind of wants and needs that come from from the workforce and and one of the things I quite enjoy talking about with that is is our consumer experience as well so Mm. how does our interaction with organizations like Uber and Amazon and uh, and even you know ASOS if if, if we use that for for clothes and our expectations of how we're served as consumers consumers um, affect our expectations of what we're going to get in the workplace and, and mm-hmm. as well I think some of that stuff is really really fascinating so I suppose I suppose I'm agreeing with you Emma I think yeah yeah it sounds like it yeah I mean yeah, yeah it's really interesting you brought out the, the consumer experience because one again something that we talk about a lot is that you know when I first started work many years ago back in the 90s um that there, there was a gap between experience outside of work and inside of work but it wasn't huge whereas now the gap is is, is enormous you think I mean I, I joke but it's not it's not actually even a joke that there's many people that we work with clients we work with who can't even definitively tell me or tell us who works in an organization they don't even have a clear view of like this as they sit and stand today they couldn't say these are the people who've got working for us let alone what they're all about mm. and yet you think about as you say the experience that we have outside of work where you know, talk about music, you know, Spotify, I've listened to my rewind playlist this morning, you know, and it's spot on with knowing what I'm going to want to listen to at certain times of the day. And I'm just thinking, yeah, I thought a few weeks ago, oh, you know, weather's getting nice. And suddenly there's this kind of, here's your summer playlist. And it's spot on. It's just scary how well it knows me. And I think a few years ago, the algorithms and the the kind of AI was a bit clunky. And I guess all sorts of weird, random ads in my Facebook feed that probably show my age again, Facebook, that probably weren't really spot on. And now they're they're pretty good, you know, and Netflix knows what I want to watch and Amazon knows yeah. what I want to buy. Yeah. Yet the, the experience we have in, inside an organisation is I can't get my laptop to work. I can't find anything on the internet. Um, you know, it, it's a million miles away, isn't it? And it, I think that does create a lot of dissatisfaction and disengagement, so... 
Yeah, and it's expectation based, right? And especially if you think about the, the you know, Gen Z and, and, and below kind of just are, are arriving with these expectations that the workplace is going to be the same and that it's not going to be kind of out, outdated. So lots yeah. of work to do i think on the um empathy for for business partner piece and that transition uh, i kind of count myself lucky that i guess where i joined joined in the the, the hr profession in, in 2001 there was there was still some some old world thinking and there's been lots of new world thinking since right so but one of the things i always brought with me was this idea that um if an employee within within the business wants to speak to hr then that that's an absolute um right and we should always let them them do that and i think what we've trended towards especially in that business partner place is um you know uh, evidence based decision making how we use data um, uh, improving our experience of, of analytics, financial literacy. I talk about now being a financial custodian. There's all these kind of extra things, but I, I would very much say that um, there's there's a whole layer of um, like the, the the human piece, the humanity piece, which is still really important, um, especially when it comes to understanding what's going on in in the workforce and kind of predicting and um, preempting and, and preventing. Uh, things that are going to come from new initiatives and changes and and of course this has come back into the spotlight in the last couple of years with everything that we've seen um, outside the workplace and um, whether it's it's racism uh, the safety of women uh, war in Europe all of these these kind of macro events that uh, our workforce is saying yeah. what's our response to this what's our leaders response and you know, business partners, I think, have, have been asked by their leaders, what what should we say? What what should we be doing about this? And that, and that's the ultimate kind of empathy piece, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It all makes complete sense. Katie, have you got any questions you'd like to jump in with? Yeah, I think I think we I mean, you've touched on it slightly around around COVID. Um, I'd just be really interested to see sort of the biggest changes that you've seen in in that role since the pandemic? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, Katie. I, I think um, I, I used to joke, because um, I like to joke, but it's it's not a joke, that basically 90% of my role is, is done um, uh, in corridors and on the side of a desk. Um, and I think that that's true for a lot of business partners. Um, you, you can produce nice papers and, and long emails, but actually so much of it's done um, in, a, in a conversation or, or catching the right person at, at the right time. And, and I know for myself and from talking to others, I think that's been a, a big challenge. We, we talk about now the barcode diary. Um, so every, you know, you've got in your diary the, all these 15 and 30 minute chat meetings, Teams meetings now, where before you would used to just sort of bump into someone in the canteen or, or have a conversation um, and get through. So I think that, that again, that kind of human uh, kind of interaction, the, the influence side, um, I think it's, it's probably harder for a lot, a lot of people. Um, you, you're getting more focused time, but, but obviously you've got to try and get into people's diaries. I would say, though, what I'm just seeing more recently is, is much more um, of a return to the office, personally. Um, my train was full at 8.15 the other morning. I can't get a desk in the office. So I, I think some of that stuff is, is kind of coming back, which, which I think is positive for, the, for some of these conversations. And, and do you think there's anything sort of taken from that last crazy couple of years um, that, that you really hope that we that we keep that has been a positive? Yeah, I think I think there must be loads. Um, I, I've just probably embedded them and started doing them already. I'm, I'm not sure off, off the top of my head. I think um, 
Yeah, I, I might have to take that away and think about that one, Katie. <laughs> maybe the empathy piece in itself. I think it's probably, certainly the conversations we've had, I would say it, it is a bigger topic of conversation now. I think people are starting to realise actually we need to think about how, how people feel um, and I think that probably stemmed initially from the mental health point of view as a result of the pandemic. But I think people realize, actually, when we talk to our people, we find out some really useful information as well. So, yeah, I think you're right, actually, because some of the I, I can certainly say for myself, I, I didn't know what a check in was or I certainly never done one before uh, pandemic. Uh, and, and then they became more commonplace, uh, really useful. Um, where I work, we have a, 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 a tool that we call the Manual of Me. Um, where we kind of set out what's important to us and, and, and things about us and the way, way that we work and the way that we live and share that with our teams that we, we work with. And, and those have all been, uh, you know, pandemic things and, and, and to support our well-being as well. So, yeah, yeah. There's, there's, I knew there were some good things I just couldn't quite recall. <laughs> no, it almost feels like a long time ago and yet still so fresh, doesn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. funny what you're saying about the, the travel piece. I mean, I, I feel like I've travelled more the last month than I have in the last two years. I've literally been... Although last last sort of six weeks, I've been there's been a lot of travel again. It's, it's almost back up to, to pre, not quite I'd say, but almost back up to pre-pandemic levels of travel because I've always travelled a lot with the job that, that I do and the jobs that we do. So, and it was nice not to have to travel. But I think there's 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 costs and benefits with any way of working, right? There isn't a kind of you can't have it all. I think with with hybrid, there are always going to be some some sacrifices. So yes, not having to commute is amazing. But you miss bumping into your colleagues. And like you say, those, those, I hate the word water cooler mo- moment, the, the sentence water cooler moments, but those corridor conversations that you alluded to, we miss those. And you, I mean, we, we've been um, working with, with one team virtually since we started working with them and they're all over the place, let's say where they are. And sometimes it's been quite hard. It's a trans- trans- uh, transformational project. Um, and it's been quite difficult sometimes to make progress. And, couple of days in a room with them a few weeks ago we made more progress in those two days than we had in probably six months just because we were in a room where we could see the whites of each other's eyes and people couldn't turn off the cameras or you know zone out we had to get stuff sorted and just the connections we made were just brilliant you know so it's difficult one I think to to solve really and uh, we're not anywhere near near it yet what's your your take on that Glenn I mean what sort of things have you had to do to kind of fill that void for those little subtleties that you might pick up at a coffee machine or, or such like when, when people across the business or stakeholders sort of saying, you know, what's what's the mood of the nation? What, what How are people thinking and feeling? How are you kind of filling that void? Well, I think some of the things that um, I try and do is, is to it, it sounds really obvious, but to, to um kind of proactively be connected I have kind of um sort of little checks for myself if I've gone maybe a week um without talking to um uh, a number of people and I'm thinking okay hang on it's Friday now let me just check in and and I think having to hardwire this stuff in that before it's just there right because it's like Arnie's going to grab a coffee oh I bumped into them um now it's got to be planned it's got to be intentional and I think you know when you live life on teams or zoom um you don't bump into people <laughs> it just doesn't happen like that um so I I've definitely hard hardwired some of that stuff um uh, and having changed employers during the pandemic as well one of the things that I'm I'm still doing now is making sure that I, I again don't go more than a, a, a fortnight without meeting someone new 
uh, and I'm trying pro quite hard proactively to you know make sure I do that and, and I, I get those kind of 15-20 minute teams zoom coffee chats in the diary every couple of weeks to, to keep things moving and keep keep things current essentially yeah yeah and that's a, it's a really good tip it's just kind of I say plug it hardwiring it into your to your day-to-day -day, isn't it it's, it's easy to kind of not to do that suddenly realize you've not spoken to someone for like weeks on end so yeah absolutely and what about the future then I know you you do talk kind of touch on that in the book but I, I know that you, you also kind of speak on the subject around kind of future trends so what are your thoughts on what, what are going to be the big themes over the next few years for, for, for HR and for, for, for business partners? What are we going to be dealing with? What are we going to be working on? What are you excited about, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Well, well I think one of the, the things that we see um, quite a bit outside of HR is um, a move to product-based uh, working or product-based operating models. Um, and and I, I should have just started by saying, I find this quite tough to kind of reimagine uh, what the business partner role is going to be like, probably because I've been in it for more than 20 years. And it's quite difficult to blue sky something mm -hmm. that you've been plodding along with for, for quite a long time. So, so I have thoughts around how, how the role can evolve. But I think the biggest um, kind of revolution is probably an operating model switch. So, um, yeah, one of the things I thought about quite, quite a bit uh, and the, that we talk about, um, with our clients is an HR um, product-based operating model. So rather than having the traditional kind of, uh, I'll call them silos, but of, of perhaps centers of expertise, business partners, men, mm. ops, shared services, leadership, whatever it is. And actually you, re you kind of reimagine um, the approach to the HR function. So, uh, and first I think it's easier to do in portfolios. So you say, well, actually we're going to break those old, structures that we had and instead we'll start off with the, the join portfolio so we'll have a, a, a an organization within hr that's responsible for uh, attraction evp and um, all of the recruitment piece the onboarding uh, and and the first kind of six months uh, of someone's journey um, and actually within that you could be uh, you could be a reward expert you could be a talent acquisition um practitioner you could be an HR business partner there are many skills um you could be you know, talent learning and you cut the the department differently because actually you're organizing around portfolios um, and obviously when you run this at scale you could actually be organizing around individual and um, digital or experiential products so uh, I think that that's something for us to think about and and you know it's not it's not complete pie in the sky. I mean, I mean, many kind of IT organizations already moved to product-based um, working. Uh, and so I think, you know, it's, it's good for us to consider what, what could that mean for HR essentially and how could that revolutionize the business partner role and, and other roles as well. Interesting. That's, that's a really, I've never really thought of it that way. It's really interesting to kind of just mull over that for a minute, I think. And that, I guess that kind of fits with this sort of the life cycle approach that, a lot of HR teams are moving to in the wake of employee experience. I mean, we think it's much broader than that. That's just one part of it, but um, that that would kind of make sense. Although, I, yeah, I think it'll be, there's never going to be a perfect solution, is there really? And I think you talk about this a lot in the book about, you know, it, it really comes down to relationships and the ability to build those relationships. I think you're absolutely right. Whatever model you're operating under, it's really about the connections you make with other people. So I think that's um, a very, a very good, very good and valid point that you make there. So, uh, um, okay, I think we're, we're almost at time. Katie, any, have you got any any final questions for, for Glenn before we finish up? 
Yeah, last question, I think, if I may. Um, so I'm, I'm just coming back to the fact that you've had this long career in this industry. Um, and I'm just kind of really interested to know, in, the, in, in all those years, those 20, 22 years, what would you say has been your biggest learning? So someone may be coming into the industry. What's the one thing you'd be like, right, don't, don't make these mistakes. Or, or this is one thing I've, I've picked up really early on that's really helped me. Gosh, Katie, these are fantastic questions. I feel like I need to give you a written answer to that. To that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think oh, there's so many things. I, I would, um, I, I think the biggest kind of, because um, the, the, it's slightly controversial. So I think the biggest one is, is probably learning what to say, when to say no and what to say no to. But if you kind of invert that question, it's knowing what, what, what you're doing and why it's adding value. So I think that's the biggest learning. If, if you know um, what you're there for and you've got a really great sense of your purpose and, and, and your role uh, and why you're doing what you're doing, then it's easy to be able to say no to the, to the wrong things. And that's the second one, actually, is um, make sure you understand why something happens. Don't just do things because they've always been done that way. Yeah. Learn why. I think I think that is a that's a great answer. I think any any kind of sort of business partner role, whether it's a HR business partner or an internal comms business partner, it is about understanding, you know, what what your role is and where you add value. So sometimes you might be given a steer, and you know deep down it's the wrong one, and it's it's being able to sort of state the case, isn't it as well? So yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that, Glenn. That's that's a really great piece of advice. I think think to end on, and it's something that. Um, you know, when you're passionate about what you do, it's sometimes hard to say no, but you're absolutely right. If you're going to add value, you've got to, to learn when, when to say no. So th thank you for that. It's been lovely to have you on the show. Um, some great, great advice for, well, anyone working in HR, not just HR business partners, but I think, you know, if you are in the HR business partner role, invaluable advice and, and brilliant book. So go out, get the book published on Kogan Page. It was out this year, right? Did it come out this year? came out in December um, last year. December last year. Right. Okay. So that was a, that was a big celebration at Christmas for you then when that came out. <laughs> it was. It was brilliant. Oh, thank you so much for your time. Um, really appreciate it. And um, you, you know, ha have a great weekend. And hopefully, we'll we'll catch up sometime soon. You too. Brilliant. Thank you both.